1: I want you to turn, if you will, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. We're going to be looking at verses 45 through verse number 54, and we're just a couple weeks out from Easter, uh, so I want to just start transitioning our our thought process. You know, last week I talked about evangelism and outreach and how Easter is the easiest Sunday of the year uh, to invite your unchurched family and friends to church uh, most folks feel like they should go to church on Easter, so if you've got some unchurched family members and friends and co-workers and what have you that aren't connected to a church, uh, reach out to them, and I talked about that last week. Today I want to transition our thought process and kind of bring us into the mindset of this Easter season, uh, particularly the crucifixion uh, and what's taking place. Now we're going to be in Matthew 27, and we're going to pick up and start reading in verse number 45. Now I want you to understand where we are within the context of this chapter. The mock trial has already taken place. Judas obviously has already betrayed him. Jesus has gone into. This mock trial, and, and they've decided they're going to crucify him. Uh, the beating, the scourging has already taken place at this point in the chapter. Uh, the spitting on him, the plucking of his beard has already taken place. The carrying of the cross that he carried up to Golgotha has already taken place up to this point in Scripture. He's already been nailed to the cross, and, and he's hanging there. Suspended between heaven and earth on the cross. That's where we pick up reading here in Matthew's Gospel chapter twenty seven. So is everybody there? Either on your phone, your device, your, your Bible, whatever it is that you're turning to, uh turn there with us and read in Matthew twenty seven and verse forty five. Here's what the scripture says. From now or from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice Elah, Elah. Lama and that is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with sour wine and fixed it on the reed and offered him a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And Jesus shouted again in verse 50 with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And suddenly... The curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split and the tombs also opened and many bodies of the saints had fallen asleep were raised and they came out of the tombs after his resurrection and entered the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, this man really was God's son. Can you imagine the reality that set in that moment when they realized that Jesus is and was the son of God? Let's pray together and then I want to kind of unpack this passage of scripture for us this morning. Father, we thank you for the privilege to be able to come into your presence. Lord, we thank you for our church family and for each one that's here and our church family, our guests, and everyone that you've laid on the hearts to be here today. None of us are here by mistake. None of us are here by accident. I don't believe there are any accidents in life or coincidences, only divine appointments. And God, you are orchestrating the events that are taking place in our life even today. And I just pray that you open our hearts and our ears and, Lord, help us to receive the Word of God. And help us, Lord, as we glean from this passage of Scripture going into this Easter season. Father, I pray you help us to get a fresh vision of what's taking place on the cross. May there be some stories out of this passage of Scripture that jogs our memory, that penetrates our heart, that convicts us and draws us closer to you. God, our prayer is, as Martin Luther prayed many, many years ago, may the Spirit of God take the Word of God and make us more like the Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Matthew chapter 27, in verse number 45 through about verse number 54 or so, there's a series of events that are unfolding here before us. There's several things that are taking place, and if we're not real careful, we'll read this passage of Scripture we'll miss so much of what's taking place. Now, in this passage of Scripture, I believe there are five, and I'm going to add one more, six things that are taking place while Jesus is hanging on the cross. I've titled this message, The Miracles at Calvary, or some miraculous events that were taking place while Jesus was hanging on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, redeeming all of mankind unto himself. So let me try to unpack these five or six things for you this morning and try to get you to see what it was that Jesus was doing on that day while he was hanging on the cross. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus placed his hand on something. And the very first thing we see in Scripture that Jesus placed his hand upon was the sun. Now look what the Scripture says in verse number 45. Matthew 27, verse number 45. It says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over... The entire land. Now, guys, do you realize that the sun, which is the brightest star, if you will, in the skies, the sun had risen consecutively up to this point some 12,235 times it had been faithful to rise and shine every single day, right? But this particular day, when the Son of God, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, redeeming all of mankind... There was blackness that went over the face of the earth. Total darkness took place. Jesus put his hand on the sun and darkness took place. Do you realize the day that Jesus was born? Back some 33 and a half years prior to this. When our Lord was born as a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And we all know the Christmas story, right? Do you realize when Jesus was born that God hung a star in the heavens for him? But the day that he died, he blacked out the moon. A star was hung and shining very bright when he was born. But the day that he died, the brightest star in the entire solar system was blacked out for a space of three hours. Darkness came over the face of the earth. Can you imagine that? Total darkness. At the brightest part of the day, total darkness. From 12 till 3 in the afternoon. Three hours. Total darkness. How many remember just um, a couple months ago, maybe a month or so ago, I, time flies, I can't even remember when it was, but a while back, you remember when when all the, the power grid went out around here and all of Muscoota and parts of Belleville and Lebanon and Summerfield and New Baden and all the way up to Centralia, out to Centralia and all the way up around Carlisle Lake and even some up in Alton and Godfrey, you remember that evening when the power just completely went out everywhere? You remember that? I know some of you do. I've talked to some of you guys about that. Matter of fact, some of the guys were running around getting guns and things and protecting the house. And the reason why is because it was eerie, was it not? I mean, but think about it. That was in the nighttime. It's supposed to be dark at nighttime, right? But all the lights that we have went completely dark. And I'm with you. I was at home. We had, our, we had a meeting here at the church. And as soon as I left the church, we had power here. We had lights here and had everything. But as I drove into Muscutum, going down Route 4 after I got off the interstate and going into Muscutum, I noticed it's just an eerie darkness that had settled over the place. No lights on anywhere. When you're standing, you, you really couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. I mean, it was just dark. And it was eerie. Can you imagine? At 12 noon... In the middle of the day, for the space of three hours, there was total darkness that took place while Jesus was hanging on the cross. Some folks have come to me and asked, Pastor, why do you think there was total darkness that took place? What really was going on? Well, theologians have argued over this and debated over this for centuries, and I'm not about to stand here with full authority and tell you exactly what was taking place. But I will give you my perspective or my view on what I believe was taking place for this period of three hours when there was total darkness on the earth. That's one of the things that's going to be so great about heaven. Whenever we get to heaven, it's going to be a place of learning, Hello? It's going to be a place where we figure out some things and we have some fantastic aha moments when we're like, oh, I see what was taking place, right? Because here on this earth, we don't know everything, but whenever we get to to be with him, then we will know so much while we're in heaven. These are one of the questions, or this is one of the questions that I want to ask the Lord whenever we get to heaven. What was really taking place? From 12 noon to 3 in the afternoon when total darkness took place over the whole earth. I believe, my view is, I'm not dogmatic about this. I don't have a tremendous amount of scripture to back up everything with authority on what what exactly was taking place here. Theologians have debated over it. But my perspective is this. I believe at that moment... When the sins of the entire world, and Isaiah 53 says that God the Father laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity or the sins of us all. I believe when the sins of the entire world were literally being placed upon Jesus, when he was dying for our sins, I believe then that God the Father, now theologians debate over this, just my view, I'm not dogmatic about it, I'll stand to be corrected when I stand before the Lord if this is not the case, and I'm okay with that, okay? This is my perspective. I believe then, while the sins of the world were being placed upon Jesus, the Son of God, that God the Father had to turn his back on his only Son because God the Father is a holy God and he cannot look on sin. Now that may or may not be true, okay? I personally think that's kind of probably what was taking place there. We'll understand that completely in heaven. You get what I'm saying. But I want you to see this. There was total darkness that came over the entire world For a space of three hours. While Jesus was hanging there. Dying for your sins and my sins. He put his hand upon the sun. There's an old hymn. Called At the Cross. Let me see if I can get this tune in my mind. I want you to sing it with me. Because one of the verses talks about this darkness. Alas and did my Savior bleed. And did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Sing the chorus with me. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart rode away, It was there by faith I received my sight And
0: now
1: I am happy all the day Was it for crimes That I have done He suffered on the tree Amazing pity grace unknown and love beyond degree. How many knows this chorus? How many know it? You know it? Let's sing it together. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Listen to this verse. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glory. in? When Christ the mighty maker died For man the creature sinned Sing it At the cross, at the cross where I'm Sing it now And the burden of my heart rolled away It was there by what? Faith I receive my And now. Let's sing the last verse. But drops of grief can never repay. The debt of love I owe. Here Lord I give myself away. Is all that I can do. Sing it out loud. At the cross, at the cross, where, and the burden of my heart rolled
0: away.
1: It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I, let's sing it again, just make the devil mad, okay? One more time. At the cross, at the cross, where I'm, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy. Man, Jesus made a difference in my life, and it was at the cross where I received my son, right? I love that old song. It's at the cross. The cross made a difference. And here on this day when Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth, he put out his hand and he blackened out the sun. He darkened the sun. But that's not the only thing we see in this passage of Scripture that Jesus put his hand on. The second thing we see in Scripture that he put his hand on was the sanctuary, Not only did he put his hand on the sun and there was darkness for the space of three hours, but also he put his hand on the sanctuary. Now look, if you will, in Scripture in verse number 51a, the first part of verse number 51 in Matthew chapter 27. Look what the Scripture says. It says, suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. Now this was the veil that was in the sanctuary and it separated the holies of holies into its own designated place. Now the holies of holies, the priest would only go there once a year to, to make atonement or sacrifice for the sins of all the people. In the holies of holies, no one was allowed to go in there. Just the priest, once a year, could go into the holies of holies. This veil that separated the holies of holies from the rest Of the sanctuary, scripture says that on that day, when Jesus was hanging on the cross and darkness came over this face of the earth for three hours, that in the sanctuary the veil was torn, it was rent from the top all the way down to the bottom. No one could ever go into the holies of holies prior to this moment. There was one man that tried to. You remember in Second Chronicles, you remember the king? His name was Uzziah. And King Uzziah tried to go into the holies of holies. Matter of fact, he did. And as soon as he went in there, he was cursed with leprosy. You remember that? Jesus himself did not even go to the holies of holies. None of the disciples went into the holies of holies. No other people went in there but the priest once a year. It was a forbidden place because of the sins of the people. But now this day when Jesus is hanging on the cross and darkness came over the earth, God the Father tore the veil that separated us from the holies of holies from the top all the way down to the bottom, signifying that only God could do this. Man, if he tore this veil, he would tear it from the bottom to the top. It was a veil that stood 16 feet high. The Bible or or Scripture or uh, studies teach us that the veil was as thick as a man's hand. So it was a very thick piece of material that hung there 16 feet high that separated the holies of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the holiness of God dwelt. It was separated and torn down. You know what that was a symbol of? God was saying, come in and sup with me and me with you. Come in to the holies of holies. You now can have access to me, a holy God, through a relationship with my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what he did on the cross, the veil has been rent in tomb. And now we have the holy of holies living within us. Amen. We are now the the sanctuary, the temple of a holy God and Jesus lives within us because the veil has been rent. The veil has been torn. Man must have been shocked that day when darkness came over the space of the earth for three hours and then go into the sanctuary and see the veil has been rent from top to bottom signifying come in to me and stay with me through a relationship with my son Jesus. The third thing we see Jesus put his hand on, not only did he put his hand on the sanctuary, not only did he put his hand on the sun, thirdly, he put his hand on the stones. Look in this verse of scripture, Matthew 27 verse 51b, the latter part of verse 51. It says the earth quaked and the rocks were split. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. Here on this day when Jesus is suspended between heaven and earth, dying for your sins and my sins, and the sins of the entire world, darkness for three hours, the veil rent from top to bottom, and all of a sudden a massive earthquake taking place, and the stones are, 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 are being burst and, and splitting in two. Can you imagine the rumbling that was taking place? Can you imagine the, the stones, if you will, are crying out in praise to the Lord? Because here's my question. On this day when Jesus is suspended between heaven and earth, my question is this. Where are the people that are following him and where is the praise and where is the worship about what is taking place on that day? I want to draw your attention. You need to write this reference down. Luke chapter 19, verse 35 through 40. Luke chapter 19, verse 35 through 40. I'm going to pick up reading in the latter part of it in verse number 39. It says, And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said to him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you, if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, what's taking place here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 19? This is the scripture about the the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You remember, scripture teaches us in Luke's Gospel that Jesus wrote a cult. He told, he told his two disciples, he said, I want you to go into the city and there I want you to find a man and there will be a colt there for me, a donkey, a colt there for me. Bring it to me. If they ask you what you have need of, tell them that I sent you, that I need this colt and bring it to me. And here we find that Jesus now on this Palm Sunday, which is for us, is going to be next Sunday that we celebrate that. But on this event, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, he now gets on this colt. And he rides into Jerusalem. Now here's one of the things you got to understand. Nowhere else in Scripture do we see that Jesus rode any animal into Jerusalem prior to this. Nowhere. So that was an odd command for the disciples. He always walked into Jerusalem. But on this day, he said, no, I want to ride a colt. Why? What's the significance of why Jesus on this particular day... When they're crying out Hosanna, the parade route, if you will, where he is traveling, they're laying down their outer garments, they're laying down palm branches, they're allowing him to come in, they're worshiping, they're celebrating him, they're praising him. Why on this day did he choose to ride a colt? Well, the culture of the day was this. Whenever the time was in a time, or the, or the city, or the, or the kingdom was in a time of war, and whenever the king would come in in a time of war as a victor and a conqueror, He would ride into the city on a prancing stallion. And you've probably seen some of these in some of the movies of old, as as you've seen those. And, And the king would come in in a time of war on a prancing stallion, signifying, I am the victor. But during days of peace, the king would ride in on a colt. On this particular day, Jesus said, I don't want a prancing stallion. And I don't even want to walk in. I want to ride in on a colt signifying that, yes, I am the king and I am also the prince of peace. And so as he was riding into Jerusalem, he rode in as the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he also rode in on this colt as the prince of all peace. And the people were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were worshiping him. They were praising him. Question, where is the worship And where is the praise on this day when He's there on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth? There wasn't any, was there? So why do you think the rocks were crying out? Because the greatest event that's ever happened in the history of mankind the greatest theological event that ever took place the gospel the redeeming of mankind was being fulfilled God's son was on the cross dying for your sins and mine redeeming the world God was redeeming the world unto himself through his son and there was silence over the earth nobody was praising him on that day So therefore the prophecy of our Lord in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 40 came to fruition. In Luke 19 and 40 Jesus said I tell you if they hold their peace the stones will immediately cry out. On this day when he suspended between heaven and earth there on the cross there was no worshipping taking place among the people. There was no praise taking place among the people. So you know what took place? An earthquake happened and the rocks started renting and all of the collapsing and the splitting of the rocks and the noise that came and with that was the praise of the rocks for what was taking place on the cross that day. Church, may I ask you, we go back and study in the New Testament. We see men and women that called on this man Jesus to come into their life and do some amazing things. I think about blind Bartimaeus that sat by the wayside. A blind man. He knew that Jesus was passing by. He pressed through the crowd. He said, oh, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus went to him. People told him to be quiet. He would not be quiet. He cried out the louder. Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus went to blind Bartimaeus and he touched him and he healed him of his, of his blindness and he could see that day. My question, where is blind Bartimaeus when Jesus is on the cross dying for the sins of the world? I think about Lazarus. Mary and Martha's brother, if you remember, dear friends of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus was not with them, but Lazarus was sick and he died. And they would sent for Jesus. And when he finally got there, they were upset. And they said, Jesus, if you had only been here earlier, my brother Lazarus would not have died. Jesus wept with them. He was emotional with them. And then he said, take me to him. And he spoke and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Scripture teaches us that Lazarus came forth. What a great story that is. I'd love to preach that story, but I don't have time to preach it right now. Lazarus, come forth. And Jesus, uh, the scripture says that he came forth. My question, Lazarus, where are you on this day? When Jesus is suspended between heaven and earth and he's dying for the sins of the world. Lazarus, where are you? Where's your praise? Where's your worship? Mary, scripture does tell us that Mary Magdalene was close by. But Mary and the mother of, of Jesus, Mary, was close by as well. Mary, where are you? They're close by, but there's no worship. There's no praise. So you know what took place on that day? Not only did Jesus put his hand on the sun and there was darkness for three hours. Not only did Jesus put his hand on the sanctuary and the veil was rent from the top to the bottom and so that we could enter into the holies of holies. But also on that day, Jesus put his hand on the stones. He said, while I am redeeming the world, if you will not praise me, if you will not worship me, the stones of the world, the stones of the earth, would cry out and worship me. Folks, I don't care what you're going through in life. We all have different hardships we all have different valleys and we all have different trials and we all have different set of challenges and circumstances that we're faced with. There's a one word for that. It's called life. Learn to deal with it. And here's how you deal with it. You deal with it by trusting Jesus Christ, your Savior and trusting the promise. that He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And even when we are in our darkest valley, even when we're in some difficult trying times in life, we still need to cry out and worship the Lord because even the stones on this day when Jesus was in the dark The darkest valley of his life, redeeming all of mankind, cried out and worshiped him. Can I get a witness, church? Amen. The third thing we see, not only did Jesus put his hand on the sun and there was darkness for three hours. Not only did he put his hand on the sanctuary and the veil and the the sanctuary was rent from the top to the bottom signifying we could come into the holies of holies. Not only did he put his hand on the stones and the stones cried out in worship, if you will, in the rumbling that was taking place there. But we see the fourth thing. He put his hand on the sepulchers. Now, what's the sepulchers? That's the tombs. That's the graves. He put his hand on the sepulchers. Look, if you will, in verse number 52. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. That word fallen asleep just simply means they died. Okay? So many of the saints that had died had been buried. That was the normal thing to do. Still is today, right? You die. You die. Be buried. That's what was taking place. But during that day, when he's suspended between heaven and the earth, the tombs were open. Look what it says. They fell asleep. Verse 53. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection. Everybody say after. I, want you, I don't want you to get this order out of out of place here. I want you to see what's happening. The tombs were opened, the graves were opened, but they didn't come out of them until after the resurrection. It's almost like the festival of first fruits. As Jesus was resurrected, then the first fruits he brought with him. And it says of these that had died, that were in the tombs, that the tombs were opened that day. The sepulchers were opened that day. Look what it says about them in verse 53. It says, they came out of of the tombs after his resurrection and they entered into the holy city. What's the holy city? That's Jerusalem. They entered into Jerusalem and they appeared to many. I don't know about you, but I find that amazing. The graves were open. No doubt they laid there for about three days now, okay? Until Jesus finished dying, until he was put in the tomb. And then after he resurrected, the scripture says that they got up out of the tomb. And they walked into the city. And the scripture says they walked into the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and they appeared to many. you say, preacher, do you really believe that? Let me tell you something, guys. I believe every word in this Bible. If it's in the word of God, I believe it. You say, well, really, how do you really think that happened? I I don't know how it all happened. I just know it did, right? I don't have to know all the hows of it. I just know it happened. Now, if you're going to take that part out of it and say, I don't necessarily believe that's true, then let me ask you, what part is true? If you're going to say parts are and parts aren't, then who gives you the authority to say what is and isn't, right? You either believe this is the Word of God or you believe it is not the Word of God. There's only one of two beliefs. This is the Word of God. And the Bible says that on that day when Jesus was hanging on the cross for the sins of the world, blackness came over the earth, the veil was written in the temple from the top to the bottom, he put his hands on the stone, there was an earthquake and a rumbling of the stones, but also he put his hand on the sepulchers, and the grave sites were opened up. Can you imagine that sight? The graves were opened up. And then three days later, after the resurrection, they got up. <laughs> Where'd they go? They went to the city. Hello? What city? Jerusalem. That's the holy city. They went into the holy city. Well, who'd they see? Many people. Can you imagine that day? Hello, church. Can you imagine that? All of a sudden, man, who are you? I am Abraham. No doubt they had heard about Abraham. One of their forefathers. Abraham got up. Now, I'm assuming he's one of the saints, right? It doesn't say that Abraham does. But it says the saints, right? Those that are buried, they got up out of the tomb. They walked into the city. They were seen by many. Now my imagination is going to kick in on what that may have looked like. Abraham walking into the city. Hello? Can you imagine the little kids now? They really want to see. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. Hey, there's Father Abraham. Right? Now I doubt they were singing that song back in the day, but you get the picture, right? Abraham walking into Jerusalem on that day. Think about King David. You think King David saw a different Jerusalem than what it was when he was king? Oh yeah, that's a different city nowadays, right? It's under Roman captivity and Roman siege, if you will, and, and he's walking in, and saying, What in the world's going on? Man, this is, kind of looks different. And just let your imagination go with that. And I believe you're perfectly okay with that. And I don't know all the details of all of that and how all that happened. But here's what I do know. It says in Scripture that when Jesus died, the tombs were opened up. After his resurrection, it says they got up out of the tomb, they walked into Jerusalem, the holy city, and they appeared before many. Now, that's all I can speak with authority. The rest of it, you got to fill in the blanks, use your imagination based off of what we have in Scripture. Those are some of the questions that I am ang- or anxiously waiting to ask our Lord. Or even ask Abraham, hey, what was it like? To get up and walk into Jerusalem that day. Right? I said, Preacher, you're crazy. It's in the book. Right? It's one of the things that happened on that day. Let me give you a fifth one. Not only did he put his hand on the sepulchers, but also, number five, he put his hand upon the soldiers. Now, I want you to look in verse number 54. It says, When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus, now get the picture. When the centurion and those with him, So there were other soldiers, okay? When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified. And they said, this man really is God's son. And I've already said it, but I want to say it again. Can you imagine the reality that must have been setting in In the hearts and the minds of these soldiers. Now this was a centurion. This was an individual that was raised in Rome, watching the gladiators kill one another. This was an individual who became a soldier, and he went through the ranks until he ranked up to where he is is a centurion. This is the same Roman guard that's been given authority to take this king of the Jews and nail him to the cross. Now put yourself in the shoes of the Roman guard, the centurion. He's got to be very proud of himself where he has advanced in his military career. From a young boy wanting to be uh, in, in this army to joining the army and ranking up and getting the command from the general, kill him, nail him to the cross, take him up there, you're in charge. So this centurion had to be feeling pretty good about himself before he'd kill Jesus, right? And as he's killing him. No doubt, I get an image in my mind, and I don't know if it's exactly true, but I get an image in my mind of a very, very masculine man. A very muscular man. A man's man, if you will. Hard man. His heart, so hard. He has hatred towards this Jew. And I am going to kill him. I have been raised and born for this. I'm the man. Put yourself in the, in the, in the shoes of this guard. He gets the stake and he's driving the nails and the hands and the feet of Jesus. No doubt he's standing there and blood has been splattered on him from the events that have been taking place. And he's standing there confident within himself. At 9 a.m., He hates this Jew. At 9 a.m., he's fulfilling his authority. He's excited about it. He knows as soon as it's over because he's going to do his job. He's going to go back and report as soon as this thing is done. And probably an advancement is coming. Another rank is coming. He is excited about where he is in life right now. That's at 9 a.m. Six hours later... Somewhere between noon and three, darkness over the face of the earth. This guard's looking around. Darkness over the face of the earth. He hears word that there's a disturbance in the sanctuary, that the veil has been rent and the chaos has taken place over there. He's somewhat puzzled. Now all of a sudden he sees that the stones and the earthquake has taken place. A little bit of reality and fear is starting to settle in. Then all of a sudden he sees and hears that the tombs are opening up. All of this is transpiring between 12 and 3. This centurion, this Roman guard that was excited about his position, that had hatred in his heart at 9 a.m., now all of a sudden at 3 p.m., six hours later, realizes that he had made a mistake. That heart that once was hard and cold is now starting to get softened a little bit. And he says, oh my goodness, this man was and is God's son. And this Roman guard that had never had fear enter his heart ever. At 9 a.m., no fear whatsoever. At 3 p.m., tremendous fear he's feeling a trembling in his sandals like he has never felt before because he realizes that this is god's son and the bible says that fear came upon him and the other soldiers that were with him fear came upon them that's why i say jesus put his hand on the soldiers But there's one more thing that I believe Jesus put his hand on, and you won't find it in this text. But Jesus also put his hand on the souls of men. My last point, and I'm done. But stay with me on this one. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, while Jesus is suspended between heaven and earth, he puts his hand on the sun. You get the picture. Puts his hand on the sanctuary. You understand what took place. Puts his hand on the stones. Puts his hand on the sepulchers. The graves are open. Puts his hand on the soldiers. All this is in that text, passage of scripture that I read to you. But what's not there is the last point I want to share with you. He also put his hand on the souls of men. Now what do I mean by that? Well, I want you to think back with me before the crucifixion. Back after Judas had betrayed Jesus with a kiss and 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus now is taken into this mock trial. The crowd notices that Peter is there. And says, hey, here's one of the disciples of Jesus. (laughs) Not me. No, I don't know him. Right? No, not me. I don't know him. He goes off, warms himself by another fire while all this is taking place. Someone recognizes. Hey, this is Peter. He's a follower of Jesus. No, 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 not me. I don't know him. He goes to another fire and he starts to warm himself. And oh, you're Peter. You're a follower. No, I don't know him. Three times he denies the Lord. Then the rooster crows. We know the story, right? Peter doesn't even want to be identified with this man Jesus. But Jesus put His hand on the souls of men at this hour, when He's suspended on the cross between heaven and earth, redeeming all of mankind. Something happened. To Peter. The crucifixion took place. The burial took place. Three days later the resurrection takes place. Peter's one of the first ones and goes inside the, inside the tomb. And then a, a transformation started taking place in the life of Peter that never took place before. A boldness overcame him that he had never had before. What happened? He saw all these events unfolding before his eyes. And Peter, if you remember, came out with boldness and authority. In the book of Acts, preached one of the greatest messages that you'll find in the entire Bible with tremendous authority. And thousands of people responded and believed the gospel on that day. What happened between that Peter that's preaching with great boldness and this other Peter that that denied him and did not even want to be identified? What happened? Jesus put his hand. On the heart of Peter. And he gave him the boldness that he needed to live out his mission in life. Think about another. And I could go on and on with stories like this. But I don't want to give you two more and I'm done. Think about Saul of Tarsus. Saul's job? Destroy Christianity. This thing called the gospel. Certificate in my hand to bring captive anyone that claims to be a Christian. And, and stamp out this Christianity thing. He's on his road to Damascus to find some more believers and more Christians. And while he's there, he comes face to face with the person of Jesus Christ. Long story short, he's smitten with blindness. He comes to know the Lord. And he becomes one of the greatest disciples and followers and church planners and preachers in all the New Testament. What happened? Jesus put his hand on the soul. Of Saul of Tarsus, and he became the great, the Apostle Paul. There's one more man I want to share with you that Jesus put his hand on. The date, November 13, 1977, a 13 year old boy at Penelope Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. That afternoon, I've been playing football in the front yard of the church with all my buddies in the youth group. There were several hundred in our youth group at that time, and we always stayed after church on Sunday. We were there right outside the city limits, and we stayed there on Sunday, and we would walk down to the burger hut, and we'd get us a burger right after church and get us some type of a soda, and then we would hit the front yard of the church. had a huge, massive front yard, and I'd wear my, bring my old blue jeans because Mama wouldn't let me play football in my dress clothes. So I'd change into my old blue jeans, and I'd be out in the front yard of that church, and we're playing football all Sunday afternoon. Then we'd walk back down to the Burger Hut and we'd get us an ice cream cone right before youth group and then we'd go into youth group. This particular evening, our youth pastor was there and he was preaching to us and he assembled us all together and we were having communion. And he said, okay guys, we were scattered throughout the auditorium. He said, every one of you guys that have trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, get up out of your seat right now, come down to the front row, start filling the church up from the front to the back, we're going to serve communion. And he said this, he said, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, do not come up here and partake of communion. Because it's only for believers. Well, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, ooh, that's me. I better not get up and go up there. To my right was Gordon Hicks. Red-headed guy, about two, four or five inches taller than I was, a few years older than I was. In my, in my mind, man, he was the star football player on Sunday afternoon. You always wanted to be on Gordon's team. He was tough. A couple years older. You know how you are when you're a 13-year-old boy and you look up to somebody 15, 16, and man, that's a man. Right? I saw Gordon get up and go down the front. One of the first ones. I thought, wow, there goes Gordon. To my right. Or my other side was Jeff Siegel. Jeff was a couple years older than me as well. And at his 16th birthday, his dad bought him a brand new Camaro Z28 with T-tops. Beautiful car. And I always would love to ride around with Jeff in his car. I couldn't drive. But I'd get in that front seat, and I'd buckle my seatbelt, and we'd take off, and we'd go, and he'd hot rod that thing, and he'd goose it a little bit, and it'd break. And I'm thinking, man... This is a stud, you know. I want, I want to be like Jeff. Remember, I'm just a young boy. I saw Jeff get up and go to the front. And there I sat, completely by myself. For the first time, I saw myself separated. Because these are the guys that I hung with at church. I thought everything was good. Until that day, I came to realization that I haven't accepted Christ as my Savior. So our youth pastor served communion to all those that were sitting there. And then he gave an invitation. He said, now the rest of you guys, let me share the gospel with you. And he shared the gospel. He said, if you'd like to accept Christ as your Savior right now, I want you to get up and come down here. And I got up and I went. And I went to the front. And I met with Mark Folk. He was our pastor's son. Our pastor was Aubrey Folk. And I met with Mark Folk. And I said, Mark, today for the first time, I see myself completely separated from this youth group Completely separated from God. I don't know what I need to do. But I want to, I want Jesus as my Savior. Can you help me? And he sat me down. He opened up a Bible. And he took me down the Romans road. And he said, if you believe this, you can be saved. And he helped me pray the sinner's prayer. And the reason I, I can never forget the date. Because he wrote it in the front of this little Bible. This little pamphlet Bible that he had. He wrote it in the front of it and gave it to me. And my first Bible that I got, I wrote that date in the front of that first Bible that I got. November 13th, 1977. After I accepted the cross as my Savior, I then took communion. I don't know that I've ever had a feeling come over me to take communion like I did that as a 13-year-old boy. And God touched me. Well, you know how it is. As you come on through school and you get up into high school and I had drifted away from the Lord. I wasn't where I needed to be. But I found this sweet, good-looking girl that played the piano. Good-looking girl. There's probably been more, more boys saved through good-looking girls at church than anything else. <laughs> Hello? So you girls keep looking good, keep bringing them boys in here, and we'll get them saved, all right? It happened for me. I wasn't where I needed to be spiritually, but her and her family I noticed were. And she wasn't even completely, but I could tell they were, they were doing it. And so I fell in love with this this girl. And so I'd go to her church on Sunday night. I'd go to Penelope on Sunday morning. Then Sunday night I'd go to Calvary Free Will Baptist Church. Because she's playing the piano. I want to hang out with her, you know. So I went. She became my high school sweetheart. We got married in 1984. August 4th, 1984. Four o'clock in the afternoon. We're standing at the altar. And we get married. The love of my life. I do. She did. We did. And there we went. Living life. Both had really good jobs. Bought our first house. About five acres of land. Had a lot of different things going on for us. God had blessed us. I didn't even realize it was God blessing us. Because I wasn't where I needed to be spiritually. I thought it was all me doing this thing. We didn't have any children at the time. And about that time I'm driving my UPS truck and I get a call at one of my stops. you got to remember, this is before computers, and this is before cell phones. This is before all that. I had a paper tablet, and I had the old carbon paper that I had just put in there. You guys remember any of that stuff? Anyway, that's kind of what my route sheet was on. And at one of my routes, the terminal manager had called the place where I was going to be picking up that afternoon and said, hey, you need to bring the truck back in here. Your wife, they've just taken down the Duke Hospital in Durham, North Carolina. She's been diagnosed with cancer. Man, that devastated me. I broke. And I said, yes, sir, I'll be right there. So I flew back to Lenore, North Carolina. Dropped off that UPS truck. Got in my old 69 Ford pickup truck. And drove that thing home as fast as I could get it there. But I didn't go straight home. I went to one of the deacons' house. Or in our our church. And... And I went there, and some of the other church leaders were there, and one of Debbie's actually Debbie's cousin and was there. And I said, "Guys, we got to pray." And they said, "Yeah, we know Debbie's at Duke; she's been diagnosed with cancer." I said, "No, boys, you got to pray for me. This is the love of my life, and I have worked my tail off to provide for her." And the only thing I cannot give her is health. And I'm not even a place where I can pray and ask God to help her. Pray for me first. And then we'll focus on praying for her. Because I've got to be able to get a hold of God. And right now I can't. They led me through the sinner's prayer. I rededicated my life to the Lord. And I got up off my knees and went to find my wife. And she had come back home by this time. And then she spent about six or eight weeks down at Duke Hospital in Durham, North Carolina. I couldn't go down and spend every day with her. I had to work. We had a mortgage. We had car payments, had a boat payment, had all this other kind of stuff. I'm driving my UPS truck. I taped up scripture all in the top of that thing. I was memorizing scripture like crazy and taping it up all over my truck and, and claiming and holding on to the promises of God. And I took a week's vacation and went down and stayed with her one week. While we're there, and this is toward the latter part, halfway to the latter part of her treatments, and she's having radiation treatment directly into the face, directly into her eye. She has lymphoma cancer, little hot dog cells, layered cancer coming out of her eye. And she's having this treatment. And so her face on one side is completely burnt. I mean, it's scorched. And that day we... (laughs) You know, we struggle, we think about, what was that taco place, Del Taco? <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever heard of a Del Taco. One, there was one in St. Louis, but they've closed it down now. But there was a Del Taco. We used to go there because we could eat tacos for like, we could get like 10 of them for two bucks. I mean, they were just dirt dirt cheap. <laughs> We'd get those tacos. And, and I remember we one day we went on to, in Durham, North Carolina, went on to campus and went up into the Bell Tower. And the reason I'm telling you about this particular story because this is another one of those times when God put his hand on me. Because I looked at my high school sweetheart. We didn't have any children. We had great dreams of having a family, having children and living a long life together. And here we are just getting started and boom, she's got cancer. And I remember seeing her and we were just up there and young and Looking out over the Duke campus and I looked at my wife and I saw the whole side of her face blistered and I thought, God, if you'll just heal my wife of cancer, I'll give you my whole life. Now at that time I had no idea that God was going to call me to preach. I had no idea. I just thought I'd step up and teach Sunday school. That's all I was was planning on. I said, God, whatever it is, I'm yours if you'll touch and heal my wife. Well, God kept His end of the promise, and since then I've been trying to do my very best every day of my life to keep up my end of the promise. And God brought me from the back church, from the back of the church, little old shy, skinny boy that would not even pray in church. And I had people around me designated prayers because our pastor would just randomly say, "Zach, stand up and pray for us." Okay, that's, no, don't do that. that that's what he.
0: Would, that's what he would tell
1: us. Okay, I, I was terrified of that. I had people around me that would pray, but God brought me from the back of the church, and I thought, you know what? It's time for me to sit on the front row, and I quit sitting at the back at that day, and I said, I want as close to the fire as I can get, and my spot was on the front row. Now, my wife didn't like sitting on the front row, so she sat on the second row, but right behind me. I could reach her back and touch her if I needed to, but I got on that front row, and I wanted as much of God as I could get. I wanted to spit off the preacher. I wanted it. I went from the back row to the front. I went from listening to my wife sing with a trio to joining that trio and becoming a quartet. And we traveled around a lot of different churches and sang in churches and did revival meetings and camp meetings and we would sing in those things and we would share our testimonies and just what God was doing and then my pastor said, Hey, would you like to teach the men's Sunday school class? And I said, Yeah, that's kinda of what I, where I thought I was going, although I was terrified and I went from just this young boy to standing up and preaching or teaching to these men's Sunday school class. and Oh, I, I felt so humbled to do that. And then I kept serving, and um, I don't know if I told you guys this or not, but I don't know if it's the first service or if I already told you. Did I already tell you about me cleaning the bathrooms? That must have been the first service. I would, I would get to the church early on Saturday, every Saturday morning I was at the church. I had to get it ready for Sunday. And I was in there, and I would clean the bathrooms and clean those things spotless and freshen the place up. And our church was an older church, and we went through a little bit of remodeling. And I was there working at anything and everything I could do at the church. I wanted to do it, not to try to get to a position, but because I just wanted to serve. As was a way of me giving back. And my pastor said, John, he pulled me aside one day and said, I've been watching you. God's been moving in your life. And in Debbie's life, and you guys as a family, would you mind if I put you aside and start training you as a deacon? Uh, Okay. So it wasn't too long after that I was ordained as a deacon. Then it wasn't long after that that God's kept dealing with me, and I remember pulling my UPS truck over in Morganton, North Carolina, in a hayfield. They had just cut hay, and I'd always carried my Bible with me, and I just felt God impressing on my heart. And I pulled over in a hayfield, and they just cut it, and I pulled off the side of the road. and, And I got in the back of my UPS truck, and I shut the bulkhead door, and the back door was obviously shut. And I pulled some boxes out, and I made myself an altar in the back of that UPS truck. And I laid my Bible out there, and I said, okay, God, I'll surrender. We were having revival services at the time, and I felt God calling me to the ministry. And I surrendered to preach in the back of an old UPS truck. And I went to the revival, and I made it public. To my pastor and to those, God's called me to the ministry. I'm surrendering today to be a preacher. I don't know where God's leading. My pastor got up after the close of the service and he said, Hey, got great news. What's going on in John and Debbie's life? And he was sharing that. He said, And I want everybody to come back Sunday night. John's going to preach his first sermon. <laughs> I was like, Whoa. You remember that? <laughs> I'm like, Wow. I mean, that was like on Thursday. Sunday, I'm preaching. And my, my pastor said, listen, if, if God's called you to preach, you always be ready to preach. Don't you ever show up any time at church or any time in life and not be ready to preach. If God's called you to preach, be ready to preach. I mean, I would show up at church sometime. We'd get through the song service. Everything's done. I'd sit down and the pastor would get up. He'd start preliminaries. he said, I pray for John. He's going to deliver the message today. Today. You better be ready. That's how I was raised better be in the book. You better be ready. I shared all that because this means a lot to me. I am where I am today because of what God's done for me. My wife is where she is today because of what God has done for her. My children are where they are today because of what God has done for us. You take God out of my life, friends, I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. So my question to you today is this, and I'm done. Will you allow the Lord Jesus to put His hand on your heart as He put His hand on the sun, as He put His hand on the sanctuary, as He put His hand on the stones, as He put His hand on the sepulcher, as He put His hand on the soldiers? Will you allow Him to put His hand upon you this morning? And here's all you have to do. And say, God, I'm tired of doing this thing myself. I'm going to get out of the driver's seat. I'm going to let you lead my life. I surrender myself to you today. If you'll do that, friends, I promise you, you are on the path to an amazing journey. If you'll just let go and let God, you'll be amazed at what God wants to do and can do in your life. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed and as the band comes, Jesus on the cross. Dying for the sins of the world. Blackness over the face of the earth. In our text this morning, he put his hand on five different things. I've shared those with you. Will you allow him to put his hand upon you this morning?
0: Why don't we pray together?
1: Every head bowed, every eye closed. This Easter season will be a great time of year for you just to open up your heart and just allow the Lord to come in and just to give Him your life and live for Him. The motive for doing everything that we do should be to glorify Him. Scripture says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I don't want to do one thing in my life, I don't care what it is, unless God gets the glory for it. Friends, have you surrendered your life to the Lord? Have you opened up your heart and said, God, I've taken control of things I should never take control of. Help me, God, to relinquish that control and to humbly kneel before you this morning and surrender my life to you. Father, I am yours. Take me, use me, help me to live out Your will in my life every single day. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. Let me ask you this: Have you trust Christ as your Savior? If not, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day for you to open up your heart and just cry out to God and say, "God, forgive me, a sinner." If that's you, let me pray for you. Why don't you silently, right there where you're sitting, pray a prayer, something like this. Just say, dear God, I realize that you are the Son of God. Just as the soldier realized on that day that you are God's Son, today I acknowledge the same. And I pray, God, you forgive me of my sins. I trust you as my personal Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins. I believe you died on the cross. You were married. You rose again today I want to accept you as my personal Lord and Savior I give you my life, I'm sorry forgive me of my sins cleanse me, be my Lord be my King, be my God, be my Savior in Jesus name maybe you're here and you've already prayed that prayer many years ago head still bowed, eyes still closed let's just have a little time with the Lord right here but maybe spiritually speaking you're not where you should be and you're not where you need to be you know there's things between you and God that have separated you and your fellowship with Him. Right now, will you just ask God to forgive you of that? Remove whatever those things are and allow Jesus to put His hand on your soul today. If that's you, I want to help you pray. Pray a prayer silently in your heart like this. Just say, Dear God, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Father, I have brought things into my life and I've put them before you and right now, I pray you forgive me. Welcome me back as the prodigal son or daughter. Put your hand on my soul today. Forgive me of my sins. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And God, right now, I pray you forgive me as I confess my sins to you. Touch my soul today. Father, for every prayer that's been prayed this morning, whether a prayer of salvation, a prayer of rededication and commitment, dear God, we lift all of those and give those to you. We pray, dear God, that you would touch all of our souls. Change us. Help us to relinquish the authority that we think we have in our life and give that to You. Help us to get rid of the strongholds. Tear those down in our life. Help us to live for You every single day. Father, as You touched the sun, as You touched the sanctuary, as You touched the stones, as You touched the sepulchers, as You touched the soldier. Today I ask that you touch my heart and my life. Help me to be a Christ follower today. Help me to live for you. Father, I pray for everyone that prayed those prayers this morning. Father, move in their heart. Move in their life. Give them direction. Give them a mission every single day. Help them to know exactly what your will is for their life every single day. And we'll praise you and thank you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109 of Fallon, Illinois. 6269 come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net and again we thank you and are glad you could join us